Hello, hello, and welcome back to OK But Seriously, the show where we talk about serious topics, but in a non-serious way. I am your host, Vanessa Lauren, and you're listening to 91.5, The Rebel HD2, KUNV, the broadcast service here at UNLV. We are listener-supported, so we want to thank you for tuning in, first and foremost. Tonight, we are tackling the topic of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, which ironically, as I was putting this together, I was like, oh my gosh, I definitely have anxiety about this, so I'm glad we're going to talk about it. I do have an in-studio guest here who's going to help me break down these terms and give us some advice and resources, and then we're getting into like a game and a couple other um, um, some ways to deal with anxiety and things like that, so stick around. So tonight joining me is Sh- uh, Sh- Shady, how do- is that how you say it? Okay, I want to make sure I say it properly. Shady Burke, she's a graduate student here um, studying clinical psychology, originally from New York. Welcome. Um, so Shady, let's start with like, uh, just talking about yourself. So let's see. This question is always so much fun because it's like, okay, what what exactly do I touch on? So my name is Shady Burke. I'm a fourth year in UNLV's clinical psychology PhD program, and a lot of my research primarily focuses on child maltreatment and PTSD. Okay. Um, so what do I do here? Essentially, I look at the different ways that PTSD can present, particularly in kids um, with in terms to like externalizing behaviors with like substance use, self-harm, high-risk sexual behavior and things like that. Now, those are pretty like heavy things. So mm-hmm. I we, we just met. We don't know each <laughs> other. But I feel like to go into that, is there was there a reason that drew your attention or because those are like heavy topics. So why why are you interested yeah. in this? So it kind of stems a little bit from just where I grew up. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in more of a low income neighborhood. So a lot of the kids around me were dealing with a lot of traumatic issues. And kind of what we know, because they were racial and ethnic marginalized youth, they didn't get the support that they needed. So seeing that kind of them dealing with their trauma be treated, you know, in a different way with not necessarily getting access to a therapist, being more likely to get suspended because of how their trauma presented. Mm -hmm. I wanted to figure out how can I best support them? How can I give them a voice and the attention that they need? And then that's that's kind of how I got here. And here you are with us. Okay, so um, let's just start with defining anxiety because. I know for myself that it's a a term that gets tossed around a lot. So can you give us kind of like the the clinical definition (laughs) of what anxiety is? The clinical definition. Okay. So um, anxiety is essentially uh, intense fear and worry about just a perceived threat or a threat that you think is going to happen. Um, Usually we'll see a lot of worries attributed to the past. So Mm -hmm. think about when you're laying in bed and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that or why did I wear that today? Or a lot of people get stuck in the future where they're like, okay, um, do I have enough time to study for this exam? Or, oh my God, how do I interact with this person tomorrow? So anxiety is just really that kind of anticipation, that fear Mm -hmm. that comes from just what is going to happen or what did happen. Okay. So I feel like that's something everybody faces to some degree, but I don't know. I mean, I know I deal with that. So is it very common? Like, is it something that everybody deals with at some point in their life? Yeah. So uh, anxiety is very, very common. Um, It's one of the most common. Mm -hmm. Uh, About 19% of the population in the U.S. will have some type of anxiety disorder. Wow. And I love that you touched on, like, I feel like I have anxiety. I Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of people do because at some levels, anxiety is common. Like, doing this radio show is very (laughs) anxiety-provoking. And that's common. Like, sliding into someone's DMs, what are they going to say? That anxiety is common. But when it starts to, like, interfere with, oh, my God, I don't think I can do this presentation or Mm -hmm. I don't think I can go to this social situation or I'm only getting three to four hours of sleep tonight because I'm so worried about what's going to happen, that's when we start to get a little bit concerned about how the anxiety is impacting you. Okay. And then flipping the coin over to PTSD, my knowledge is very basic. When I think PTSD, I think like men and women who've been to war. Mm -hmm. So what's that clinical definition? Yeah. So um, that is something that's kind of common when a lot of people think about trauma. They think kind of only in the military sense. And that can be really helpful for like when we're looking at how does that look in the long term. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but trauma is essentially un- any kind of unexpected event that occurs where you felt like your life was threatened. So it can be things like being in a car accident, a really serious medical condition. It can also be things like going through a sexual assault or any type of physical abuse or domestic like relationship. Okay. So that seems like you would kind of know. And I know you're still like studying these things, but... Is it common for people to not even know that they have PTSD? Yeah. So like in those cases, like what are some of the things I guess you can look for in yourself to be like, oh, gosh, I might have this. So there are a few kind of things that go with PTSD. And you might have all of the symptoms and you might not have all the symptoms Mm -hmm. and you might have the symptoms directly after the trauma. And the interesting thing about PTSD is some people don't get symptoms until maybe six months or more later. Wow. So some of the things you want to look out for is some of that anxiety, um, some thoughts about your self-worth. So are you holding any guilt or self-blame about the event that occurred? Are you super hyper hyper vigilant? Are you always looking over your shoulder for something to happen? Um, are you really, really irritable and you used to not be able to, like, are you quick to anger when someone kind of brings something up? Are you quick to kind of snap at them? Um, so Which I think is something we all reference as like triggered, mm-hmm. right? So... What I hear you saying is I could be I could go through something traumatic and be okay like that day, that week, that month and feel like I'm a rock star. I'm good. I don't feel affected. But then months from now or even is it safe to say even years Mm -hmm. from now, I could go back to it in my head and that could be PTSD and I just don't know it. Yeah. Right. Because I would think for myself. And people who aren't educated on this, we would think, like, why do I still care about this thing? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. But it's very common for it to surface oh, later. 100%. And it's also very common to have those thoughts of, why am I still worried about this? This happened years ago. I'm in a happy, healthy relationship. Why am I so triggered when my partner, um, like, stands over me or something like that? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I, if I or someone was in a... We'll just say not abusive, even like I think a lot of the times when it comes to relationships, we hear about domestic violence, Mm -hmm. but we don't hear often about like mental and emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. right? So if someone was in like an emotionally abusive relationship and they got out of it and they might think, okay, well, I'm okay now because I'm with someone else. But then what you're saying is there can still be triggers. Mm -hmm. So, okay, this sounds very like I feel like (laughs) if I'm listening to this, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's no hope for me. But there is hope. We're going to get into some solutions here in a little bit. Um, I want to quickly talk about people throwing around the term Mm -hmm. anxiety. Like I know amongst myself and even some friends of mine will say like, oh, my gosh, I have so much anxiety about the smallest of things. Is that offensive to say for someone who's like actually been diagnosed with clinical anxiety? That's yeah, I've been thinking about this question a little bit. Um, I think it has to do with the intention um, with the word. So I think for a lot of people, what we know about mental health care is not everyone has equal access to it. Mm -hmm. So some people can very well be having anxiety, um, but they don't have a clinical diagnosis. However, when we're using it to like cover up saying something offensive, like, oh, my God, uh, what you said was so triggering or what that person wear was so triggering for me or, you know, you're you just talking is giving me anxiety. That can be really harmful because it a little bit devalues the impact that anxiety can have on someone. Uh, yeah. Because, again, anxiety can be incredibly distressing. It can be incredibly Im- impairing for someone to experience. Which the irony is, I'm sure if someone actually has anxiety and they hear those things, it's going to make it worse for them, right? <laughs> so we're not helping. Um, what would you say someone can do as a loved one of someone mm-hmm. who is struggling with anxiety? Because I think sometimes it boils down to like, and I say this in the most loving way, but you can have friends and family who are so anxious that you kind of almost don't want to be around them. Yeah. You're like, gosh, like you're making me anxious. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that those who are maybe not as anxious can do to help? Yeah, I think it's just being there, just being like validate the anxiety. Like it is okay and it is normal for you to feel anxious about meeting a new group of people. That is so normal. Mm-hmm. And we want to validate that emotion that doesn't mean we're like 100% condoning the actions that come from that right but we want to validate the emotion we also just want to sometimes just sit with people sit with them and listen like I am here for when you need me and you know 
we want to just let them have the space for them to work through it. We can be like, do you want to take a walk? Maybe let's remove ourselves from this situation that's causing you anxiety to give you a second to kind of calm your brain down, to calm your breathing down, to calm your heart down. Now, is it possible for someone who is anxious to be able to help someone else who is anxious? Or is that blind leading the blind? Because I feel like you have to set boundaries too, right? At some point, you can't, you can't control and you can't be there for everybody and I'm, I, I feel like I'm talking to myself but um how do you how do you navigate that like if you're naturally an anxious person and someone else is also let's just say you're in a partnership or even a friendship how, how do you like draw that boundary and say like hey like I, I want I'm here for you but I can't be like your doctor. (laughs) I love that you talked about boundaries because I think that's something that we don't talk a lot about. Mm -hmm. We are so willing to kind of put ourselves like on the ground, let people kind of take this place that we don't focus on ourselves, and we can't help other people. We're not doing good. So I think when things are going well and it's a calmer moment, having a conversation about these boundaries, like I want to be here for you, but I need to make sure that I'm well. You know, so if you're feeling anxious, you know, let me know and maybe we can play a song that we both like and we both kind of jive to Um, or we can, you know, watch a movie. But it's, of course, like setting that boundary ahead of time. You don't want to when someone's kind of having a panic attack being like, okay, so like I need you to like figure this out now because this isn't working for me. You don't want to have those conversations, but you want to wait until someone is more in a calmer state to kind of set those boundaries. That makes sense. So don't wait till the last second. Yes. yes. That's like when you're driving in the car and you're like, oh, that was our turn. Mm -hmm. And then the person's like, uh, okay, well, that's a little too late. So have the conversation ahead of time. That helps. Let's get into some of the common misconceptions Mm -hmm. about anxiety and PTSD. Um, You can separate them or jump them together, whatever's easier for you. But what's some of the things maybe you hear even just studying it that maybe drives you a little anxious? You're like, stop saying those things. (laughs) Um, I think part of it is that anxiety can only be treated with medication. That's the only way you can treat uh, anxiety is through medication. And that's just not true. Um, There is incredible therapies. The one that's most common is cognitive behavioral therapy. uh, And that has been shown to be incredibly effective for kind of the long-term anxiety of diminishing symptoms and having less impairment on the individual overall. Can you break that down, what that is? Cognitive behavioral Cognitive th- behavioral therapy, yes. Okay, so then I'm going to have you actually do this Ooh, exercise together. So this okay. kind of gets at it. So uh, what I want you to do is I want you to cross your arms. Cross oh, your arms. anyway? Anyway. Okay, cross I'm crossing arms. my arms. Most okay. comfortable. Which arm is on top? My left. Okay, and how does that feel for you? Comfortable. Comfortable? Like, yes. Jive, this is normal. Yeah, okay. I feel like I'm ready to stomp my foot and be like, where were you? <laughs> Love it. Okay, uncross, shake it out. Okay. Shake it out. Shaking. Now, cross your arms again, but okay. put your right arm on top. Oh. How does that feel? Not not comfortable. Yes, uncomfortable. Yeah. So, essentially, with these types of things, your brain is so used to this one, like, one way. Yes. It's saying, you know, left over right is the right way to go. And it can be, you know, Mm -hmm. there are some ways and that functions well. What we want to do with CBT is train your brain to see a different way as also functional. So you weren't hurting yourself when you had that right over left. That didn't hurt you. It just felt weird. And that's because your brain was just like, hey, stop, 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 stop. stop. Why are you trying to switch things up on me right now? Interesting. Okay. So it's kind of like embracing discomfort, trying new things. Yeah. Would would you say that's like, let's say I get anxiety going to work Mm -hmm. would it help to take a different path to work like a drive a different way or is that like not necessarily the what you're talking about so with that we want to kind of go into what is the purpose so like is that avoidant behavior because we don't necessarily want to avoid the anxiety okay um But some things you can do is just reframe some of the thoughts that you're having. So if you're having like, I don't want to drive this way because, you know, it's not safe or these thoughts, reframing that thinking. What is fueling that worry for you? Or some other things you can do is deep breathing. I think a lot of what we forget about uh, anxiety, we tend to think of it as this cognitive piece. We forget that there's a whole like physiological piece, like that breathing, that heart rate. So just doing deep breathing, slowing down your breath, slowing down your heart can also kind of help on those ways. Okay. Are there any other misconceptions, oh my gosh, misconceptions that you've seen or heard since you started studying this? Um, I do, the medication one is is a biggie. This is, um, let me think. 
none that are coming to mind and that's honestly probably because I'm just so used to always doing psychoeducation no that's all right but Uh, you you hit one and I think that's good enough for us to all be aware of and you know know that there's we everyone should educate themselves a little bit more on on these things Um, are there long-lasting effects of let's just start with let's start with PTSD Mm -hmm. because when I again hear PTSD I think of Yes, those military people have been tr- through traumatic events. And you almost feel like, okay, but how, you can't forget a traumatic event, right? So what are the long-lasting effects for someone who's maybe thinking, I'm just tough, I'll just deal with it? Mm-hmm. So uh, the long-lasting effects for PTSD without treatment, we start to see a lot of impairment in your kind of relationships with others, either your friendships, your family, a little bit because you're doing some of that distancing. Or maybe one of your friends or family are still interacting with a trigger for you, a traumatic person or things like that. So it might be triggering. We also see difficulties in memory, attention. Um, It also increases your stress. So we'll also see a lot of cardiovascular problems, um, digestive problems, um, and stuff like that. So So it can definitely affect your physical health at some point. Long-term, without treatment, we're going to see a lot of impact. Okay, um, let's talk about resources. We've talked a lot about like here are the things and we actually are going to get more into like symptoms and things to look for. But um, let's give people a little hope here. What are some good resources and, and things you have for us yeah. today? So again, both of these are incredibly like well studied and we have the treatment available um, for the different things, depending on if you're looking for how to support help support kids or if you're helping support adults, um, things like find a therapist in your area. The National Institute of Mental Health has a lot of information about anxiety and PTSD. Um, If you go to the UNLV Psychology uh, Instagram page, we have uh, different tips for uh, how to do some meditation if you're having trouble falling asleep or how to find a different therapist if you're part of a marginalized group. Mm Um, there's also books out there for kiddos to help them understand what is anxiety and how to help support them as well. Right. Because you, you mentioned earlier, like, are you studying specifically like younger, younger individuals? So this is something that can start how young? Um, so part of the work I do with my lab is with some kiddos that can be as young as around three to four, um, dealing with um, some issues with anxiety. And you would think like, what could you be anxious about? You're so small, but you see it in them. And at that point they're able to like communicate. Do you feel like they can verbally communicate what they're feeling at that point? Sometimes a lot of the times what we'll see with kids is they'll be talking more of the physical symptoms. So you'll have a kid that talks about having a stomach ache and we have some kids that get so anxious that they might throw up. So it's kind of just always just checking in with your kid. If you know, you're getting ready to do a play date and kid suddenly says, I have a stomach ache, you know, I don't feel good. You know, let's check into that a little bit more kind of what's going on. That makes sense. And I'm not a parent, so I don't have the experience there. But I feel like if I was babysitting like my nephews or nieces and they were like, I have a stomach ache, I would think, oh, you ate something bad. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think like anything cognitive. So that's, that's very interesting. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about awareness before we go into our break here. Is there anything that the general public can be doing to help? And I feel like this is a heavy question. You're probably like, let me count the ways. But if someone's hearing this and they're like, okay, well, I don't have anxiety, but I want to help those who do, what can they do? Um, Just really kind of learn more about it, Um, either reading it or um, kind of exploring different websites or books on your own, and also just being kind to the individuals around you. Because again, you don't know kind of what they're struggling with. So being that validating space for them, being open to listen and kind of just sit with someone with what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. It's okay that you don't know the answer to everything. That's perfectly okay. Again, you're not their therapist. Right. You know, we want to make sure we're still having those boundaries. Um, But I think just learning about like, okay, let me learn how to deep breathe. So if I see that, you know, my kid is really struggling, we can practice that deep breathing together. So just kind of being open to learning more about psychological disorders and how they present. Okay. Awesome. Okay. We are going to go into a quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to play a little true and false game. And then we'll get into some tips on what to look for. Again, you're listening to Okay, But Seriously. I'm Vanessa Lauren. I have here Shady talking to me about anxiety and PTSD. So if you're sitting on the freeway and you're feeling anxious in that traffic, stay with us. We're going to help you work through it. Deep breaths. Okay. We'll be right back. (laughs)
This is a paid PSA supported by the National Coalition of 100 Black Women Incorporated, presenting Elevate Our Voices for Change, a virtual community forum. Taking place Saturday, June 26th at noon, participants include the ACLU of Nevada, Southern Nevada Black Nurses Association, National Association of Black and Criminal Justice, Faith Organizing Alliance, the Las Vegas Alliance of Black School Educators, and the National Action Network. Registration for this event can be found at ncbwlasvegas.eventbrite.com. This hour of KUNV is supported by the Park MGM. Grammy-nominated Joe Bonamassa. Joe Bonamassa. Performing live on Friday, August 6th at the Park Theater at Park MGM. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Joe Bonamassa. Beyond Redemption. This hour of public radio, KUMV, is supported by Urban Jazz Society, AE Group, and 91.5 Jazz and More. Presenting the Soul of Jazz debut featuring Miss Monet. Performing live with the Rick Arroyo Trio this Sunday, May 9th, inside Level 1 Bar and Lounge. 1410 South Main Street, doors open at 6 p.m. More information by phone at 727-644-5312. That's 727-644-5312 or at lvlivepresents.com. This is Steph Payne, y'all. When I'm in Vegas, I listen to KUNV 91.5 FM. All right. Welcome back. I told you it was a quick break. I didn't lie. Welcome back to OK. But seriously, I am Vanessa Lauren. You're listening to 91.5 The Rebel HD2. We are KUNV listener supported the broadcast center out of UNLV. And tonight we are talking about anxiety and PTSD. And here with me is Shady. She is a um, studying to get her PhD for psychology. So we are going through what anxiety actually is and ways you can treat it. So now I'm going to play a little true and false game with you. So I've got a couple, like five little questions here and you tell me if they're true or false. Okay. 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 So true or false. Anxiety is the most common illness. True. Yes, that is true. <laughs> which is wild when you think about it. It's like there's so many illnesses out there, mm -hmm. which sounds also terrifying, <laughs> but I was like, wow, the most common. Um, okay, true or false? Approximately 40 million adults are diagnosed in the U.S. every year. Oh, I just taught this to my Psych 101 class. True? False, no. because it's 40 billion. Uh, oh, my goodness. I know. Isn't that way too much? Yes. I know. These are all coming from the National Institute of Mental Health, so I'm, I'm hoping that these are accurate. Okay, true or false? You can't have PTSD without having anger or temper issues. False. False. You said it so quick. You're like, that is so false. False. So let's let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's a, a common misconception is, oh, if you have PTSD, you're waking up in the middle of the night, you're like strangling your spouse. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily true. No, no. there are um, a bunch of different ways for how PTSD can present. And it's very person dependent. There are some of those common factors that we'll see some of the irritability, like nightmares, flashbacks, but that doesn't have to be for everyone. We also see some people that essentially just go numb. They'll be emotionally numb. They will avoid all triggers. They won't want to interact with thoughts or emotions that are attributed to the trauma. We also might see some types of dissociation where they're completely separating themselves, where they might even lose memory of the traumatic event. So, yeah. so if someone's in a home with someone who's going through PTSD, and let's just say they're very distant, quiet to themselves, it's not to say that, oh, they have it, but they could. Yeah. So it's not just someone who gets temperamental and throws things and is angry and acting out. It can come, which kind of makes it, it's like that Where's Waldo game. Like, yep. it's hard to find. <laughs> yes. But I would think, and I'm not an expert, but if you feel like you have it or if you feel like someone in your family has it, maybe get checked first, right? Yeah, there's no harm. And I think with, I think a misconception about a lot of uh, psychological disorders is you feel like you need a diagnosis in order to see a therapist. And that's not true. If you are having any type of symptoms and they're causing you distress or they're causing some type of impairment, 
you can see a therapist. We can work with you through those symptoms and you don't need to meet full criteria for PTSD or anxiety for that. You can just be like, I'm really just struggling with test anxiety and we can help you with that. I think that's also something that people, especially younger people, feel like therapy is like, okay, that like I'm... Mm -hmm. It's taboo, right? Like, I don't need a therapist. I would – let's normalize (laughs) therapy. I tell people, like, I go to therapy and my partner and I go to couples therapy. And it's like, you know, it's like taking your car to the shop. Mm -hmm. It's better to go and get it checked up than to go when it's completely broken down, right? So I'm like, yeah, therapy is a good thing. It doesn't have to be this taboo thing, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, what if you ever like, no, it's terrible. (laughs) That's a silly question. You're in this major. Okay, true or false? Everyone who's experienced a traumatic event experiences PTSD at some level. Oh, I, I'm gonna go with false for that one. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go. With, <laughs> She's struggling. I'm gonna go with false. Um, mainly because not everyone that has experienced something that's traumatic will go on to develop PTSD. They might have acute stress disorder, which is similar um but there are factors of resiliency uh that can help protect someone from developing ptsd am i right you are right okay see i should just be able to give you your doctorate boom she nailed (laughs) it thank you (laughs) no it is false and i was shocked by that so it makes sense what you're saying but i would think if you go through a traumatic event naturally your mind and your body would go to this very negative place but like you're saying there's external factors maybe someone who goes to therapy, mm-hmm. goes through a trauma, and <laughs> is able to... skills. That's right. Okay, the last one I have is many PTSD symptoms are similar to the body's response of stress. True. Yes, this is true. Can you kind of walk us through what some of those symptoms are? Uh, yeah, of course. So I think a lot of what we see, even in anxiety disorders, is that heart racing, um, is that sweating. Uh, when we're stressed out, we might be a little bit more irritable. Our mind might just kind of race where we're kind of unable to focus. But you'll see a lot of those kind of heart racing, breathing, sweating, um, things kind of going on. Okay. All right. The only time I sweat is when I go to the gym. So, you know, (laughs) we're in trouble. So I wanted to bring up this example. So for me, if you're like, okay, I picture stress and anxiety. Like, you've ever seen Inside Out, the Disney movie? No, it looked like it was going to make me cry. So I had to avoid it. Your homework (laughs) is to go home and watch Inside Out. I love Inside Out. That's how I like deal with my anxiety because I picture in Inside Out, there's all these little characters sitting at a control board right Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily have anxiety but they do have disgust and then they also have fear and I feel like anxiety is a mix of those two but when they take the controls when fear takes controls like it's he can't handle anything Mm -hmm. right so that's like what I picture when I picture anxiety I'm like oh my gosh fear get off the controls please so I don't know if anyone can relate to that but that's what I think of when I think of anxiety let's get into some of the top causes so I pulled these from psych to go i'm Uh sure you're familiar maybe not but i'm not in your major this is where as a journalist i went here for um they are a a company that raises awareness about mental health and they kind of break it down from the heavy jargon Mm -hmm. they do like quizzes and youtube videos and articles so you know easy to digest so here are the top six causes for anxiety that they had and i'm going to go through them with you and if you have any examples that would be cool So the number one thing is overthinking, which I was like, that's a symptom. I think I feel like that's anxiety. (laughs) So they broke it down as like overthinking is making a big deal about everything. So when Mm -hmm. you're reading too much into anything. Yeah. Can you think of an example of someone overthinking something? Um, So I think of just like the basic of when you're going to take a test and you're sitting there and you're overthinking every question, right? Yeah. So you get to this question, you know, you know it, you know, you do, but you're like, but what if it can be this one? But what if it's this one? But what, you know, there was that one time when I saw this one documentary. where So it's this overthinking that you kind of psych yourself out a little bit. Is there ways to prevent or stop that? Like if I'm in an overthinking state, what do I do? So it's a little bit of that like reframing of that thought and also engaging in that positive self-talk reminding yourself that you know this you got this you have studied for this okay that makes sense I think when I think overthinking I think like two girlfriends sitting at lunch and you're breaking down the text messages (laughs) of of the person you like 
we do that. I I, I might like slightly support that. <laughs> so yes, but that can also be another one. Yes, that's very much what I think. Like when we look at every like period, comma, <laughs> this and that. Okay, the second one is overachieving. Okay. Okay, so it says overachieving is overworking and, and stressing about unrealistic goals mm-hmm. and staying busy. Yeah. And anyone out there who's listening who knows me personally is like, you need to listen to your dang self. This is something I struggle with. So I love that it was on the list because I think sometimes overachieving is equated to you're just working really hard. Mm -hmm. And now the society we live in, everyone has to work two jobs, right? You're probably working a job in school doing all the things. Um, I don't think we really need an example of overachieving other than all of us probably do it. Is there anything we can do in that to like like alleviate that pressure of overachieving? I think it's understanding where are these goals that you're setting for yourself are coming from are you trying to achieve someone else's expectations of what you Mm. can do or is it this like what you want and kind of resetting those goals setting boundaries if you need to if someone's asking too much of your time how can you set a stricter boundary with them so you're not overachieving so you're not burning yourself out see and like I don't know if it's my age or my industry and I hope my boss isn't listening but when I hear what you're saying the only thing that comes to mind is work when you're (laughs) when you're like kind of not at the bottom but when you're in the position of beginning a job Mm -hmm. and someone higher up is asking you to do something that's very intimidating oh 100 right so then you like it's not even the overachieving part it's just i i always tell the older generation so i'm 32 i'm a millennial technically and I tell those that in their 40s and 50s that get anxious or anxious, they get annoyed that we're always on our phones. And I'm like, look, we are emailing, we are working mm-hmm. because it's a constant thing, our jobs, right? Yeah. So that can also be categorized, I feel like, into overachieving. But yeah. we set those boundaries. If you're li- – go back to your job description. <laughs> be like, it's not in my job yes. description. I don't have to do it. Okay, the third one is low self-esteem. So this one's pretty straightforward as well. It's talking more about like the internet and the pressure of not just social media, but just societal pressure, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I've heard a lot about this, like self-doubt and that, like, oh, stay off the, stay offline. Mm -hmm. Not very realistic for the time we live in, but let's just say I'm scrolling through Instagram and I start seeing a couple posts that are like making me feel like, gosh, I'm not doing anything. Mm -hmm. What's something in that moment that I can do other than put my phone down? Is there something that, like, again, you're, you're ta- you've talked a lot about, like, changing the thought, mm-hmm. right? Um, is there anything else in those moments? Um, I think just reminders and, again, that positive self-talk of you are doing things. And start thinking about, like, what are you doing in your life that you are proud of? One, you got up this morning. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> you might have taken a shower, which also 10 out of 10. Um, yes. You are in school. You're thriving. So, Again, like, who are you trying, whose expectations are you trying to live up to? Right. And also, when you're having that thought of, I'm never going to be that, reframe that. Like, who are you? And how can you reframe that thought to help validate yourself? Don't forget to validate yourself. Now, in your studies, I'm going to be super transparent here. I just realized my phone has a mental health check in, Mm. in it. I don't have an iPhone. I have a Google phone. And I realized that... I spent an average, it said, like, four hours on TikTok a day. Oh, that's me. Yes. <laughs> and a part of me is like, okay, but it's really good. So, like, it's not yes, my fault. Yeah. But the other part of me is like, that is way too much time. So I put locks on my apps now. So I only mm-hmm. have 30 minutes a day on each app, and then it kicks me out. Yes, I could go back in and change it, but I don't. I keep myself accountable. Um, are there things and, like, parameters and things we can put in place especially like the younger generations to prevent having this like low self-esteem, self-doubt, the stuff that you've maybe read about and learned about. Mm -hmm. First of all, I guess the first question I have for you is, is it common? Is it common to feel low self-esteem? Okay. So I think everyone out there, if you're listening and you have self-doubt, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Things you can set up to prevent those things other than capacity on your social media. Is there Mm -hmm. anything else you can do? Um, you are, to a certain extent, in charge of your environment. So you're in charge of what do you interact with. Um, so setting limits on that, following more body positivity posts or more positive thinking posts. 
um, start every day with positive affirmations. You yeah. know, I don't know if you saw that TikTok video of the little kid that's saying, like, I am, like, wonderful. Yes. So doing things like that, it sounds silly and it sounds weird when you first start it, but it'd be so encouraging for yourself to just be like, you know what? I am fantastic. I am wonderful. And just going, starting every day with that mood. Pumping yourself up. Yeah. I like that. I can do that. I can be my own cheerleader. Okay, we're talking about top causes for anxiety. If you're just tuning in or joining us, um, welcome back. Welcome. This is okay, but seriously, I'm Vanessa Lauren, and I'm sitting down with Shady. She is a psychology major here at UNLV going for her doctorate, and we are breaking down the top causes of anxiety. Number four is pessimistic thinking. Ugh, it hurts, right? <laughs> Worrying about the worst things that can happen. Mm-hmm. So... If you look, I have two ta- – my first tattoos on my hands here. One side of my hand says pray more. The other side says worry less because I am a Christian-based person, but I have so much worry that I had to literally put it on my hands. <laughs> and it's funny because I went in for the tattoo and the lady's like – I was like, I wanted it facing me. Mm-hmm. And right now it doesn't. So if I put my hands together <gasps> and like like a praying uh-huh. stand, like you can read it, right? Yeah. But it's upside down to me. And so she's like, no, you want it this way. And I was like, no, because I can't read it. And she's like, no, it won't make sense. But every time I drive, it's right in front of me. Mm-hmm. So it's like a reminder of like, you got to stop worrying about things that aren't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, easier said than done. Yes. <laughs> Do you see this often in yeah. your studies? Yeah. Um, it's very easy to kind of go to that place. Um, some suggestions for that is kind of breaking it down to what is the best that could happen? What is the worst that can happen? And what can, what will actually happen? So it's always going to be somewhere in the middle. Like it might not be 100% perfect, but it's going to fall somewhere in that middle part and just kind of, again, reframing. reframing. No, reframing (laughs) seems to be the key here. And that's good because we don't know, like someone could just be jumping in right now. They might have heard us say it earlier or the more they hear it, it might help them to know like, hey, yes, this is what it is. Okay, the next one I have here is uh, a traumatic event. So avoiding anything that causes stress. And what I found interesting is in this article it was saying that this is where phobias come from. So like when you have a traumatic event, like I don't know, but I feel like I was exposed to a spider when I was little because if I am near a spider, I will freak out. Mm-hmm. Is that is there any truth to that about phobias? Yeah, so that's essentially kind of how they're formed. We have this thing that for us was neutral, it didn't cause any type of reaction for us. It mm-hmm. just kind of existed and somehow during when we were interacting with that, something scary happened. So the best example is like swimming. So for most people, you see a pool, it's it's a pool. It's fine. It's whatever but if you're a little kid you don't know how to swim and your family's just like i'm gonna teach you by throwing you into this pool Mm. so you're the little kid can't swim now you're struggling to swim you might have to get saved yeah so for that kid this originally like neutral thing that pool has now become something that is very traumatizing for them because they had this very traumatizing event happen with that pool Okay, so as adults, and for those of you who may not know or just joining us, you are studying children. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think, I see, like, even just online, you see videos of, like, really young people, like, getting on skateboards and doing these really, and, and our brain goes, like, don't do that. You're yeah. going to fall, right? But they don't have that. Mm-hmm. Is that something that gets built into them by the adults that surrounds them? The anxiety of, like, not doing it? Correct. Like, we all started that way, right? And now Mm -hmm. as adults, we're a little more cautious about certain things. Does that come from a place of, like, what you're describing of being exposed to a negative event? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it can go a little bit of either way. Uh, We could have something that was really, like, painful or traumatic associated with this kind of neutral event. It also could be um, kind of family pressures. So if Mm -hmm. our family is kind of instilling – if they're dealing with their own anxiety and they're kind of pushing it onto their kids, the kid might end up developing anxiety for that same because they're learning from their parents to make that same association. Got it. So, yeah, we kind of always just want to be a little bit aware. Okay. This is one more reason for me not to have children. (laughs) The pressure. Okay. And the last one I have on this list for the top causes for anxiety, according to Psych2Go, 
is new experiences. And this one's kind of a good anxiety, like what you were describing at the beginning, going out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned being here and talking on the radio (laughs) and then maybe going and doing a presentation. So is there such a thing as good anxiety? Oh, yes, yes. Um, Anxiety in a sense, anxiety and stress can help motivate us. Like think of you get your syllabus for your class Mm -hmm. and you see on that syllabus that you have a writing assignment you have to do. You know, at the start of the semester, you're not worried about it. You're not working on it. You're like, I don't care. I don't have any stress about it. But now that assignment's due in four weeks. So you're stressed. Now you're a little bit worried. So now you might start looking up a topic. It's going to start to motivate you a little bit. But of course, there's always too much anxiety, too much stress kind of just completely like dulls us out where we can't interact. But yeah, stress and anxiety can be good at a certain level. Okay. So... Not to make it confusing, but if you feel anxiety about things that are motivating you, that's good. It's when it gets into the way of you doing day-to-day things is what we need to be concerned, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the 10 ways to reduce anxiety. Because this is, we want to end on a high note. We want to give people (laughs) solutions. We are not here to make you feel fearful. So again, I pulled these from um, a couple different articles. I got these all from Healthline. So Shady's going to keep me on, on point. If one of these is, is not the best, then she will, she will correct me. So the first one I have is staying active. Mm-hmm. Does that help lessen anxiety? Yeah, you're keeping you active, your mind active. So you're not just kind of sitting and thinking about all of your worries. You're being active. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's a good one. Mm-hmm. No one's going to oppose being active. Yes. The second one is not to drink. So what? Uh, okay. What I said, not, we're not talking about water, okay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we are talking about the good old, the good old alcohol. Um, what I was reading is that it does calm you mm-hmm. at first. But then your anxiety can come back like tenfold. Yep. Is that accurate? Yeah. And we want to be careful that we're not taking any anti-anxiety medication and drinking at the same time because that can be very, very harmful. Yeah. That sounds like a bad choice, but a good time. Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like way too much. Don't do that. No one do that. Um, Okay. And then the third one was to stop smoking. Again, Mm similar to drinking where they're saying it's a quick fix but i found a study that talked about how when if you start smoking the earlier you start smoking the more likely you are to get anxiety later on in life have you heard anything about this no but it makes sense of what you said about the quick fix it reducing the anxiety in that moment but now you're worried about you know do i have enough time to take a break to have my next smoke or things like that so it could i picture it like have you ever like try to do your laundry Mm-hmm. And then it's done and it's on the bed and you're like, I don't have time. So you just move it to the yeah. floor and mm-hmm. then you move it to the closet and then you move it. And you're just moving the problem around, yep. but you're not fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like it is. <laughs> yes. Yep. I like that. I'm going to take that from you. Yeah. Yeah. That's like it. what it feels like. Or it's like, if I just put it over there, it's not here. No, mm-hmm. it's still here. Okay, the next one, we're talking about the top 10 ways to naturally reduce anxiety. This is uh, via Healthline. Number four is ditching caffeine. Oh, yes. Oh, it mm-hmm. says caffeine causes nervousness and jitters, which mm-hmm. can make it worse. Yeah. Tell me that's false. No, because we want to remember anxiety has a lot to do with increasing our heart rate, increasing our breathing, okay. and so does caffeine. So, so it's not... That caffeine in itself, like, is terrible. But maybe, like, if we're feeling anxious, like, let's say I'm going in for a presentation and I'm mm-hmm. really anxious. I'm like, I'm going to get myself some coffee. Yep. Don't no, do it? No. <laughs> okay. Got it. So let's not drink. Let's not smoke. Let's not drink caffeine. I feel like I'm just my mother at this point. And make sure I go to the gym. That's yes. what I've learned so yes. far. Okay. This one is really interesting to me. You mentioned it earlier, so I know it's true. Okay. Getting sleep. But they break down, like... The things you should and shouldn't do when you're going to sleep. So can I run through these with yes, you? Yes, you can. All right. It says sleep at night only. Mm-hmm. So naps? No naps. What? No naps. Now, I'm not a napper, but I know many <laughs> college students who naps. What's the psychology behind that? Why not a nap? Uh, because it's a lot harder for you to fall asleep okay. um, at night if you take long naps. So if you do need to take a nap, they recommend typically between 20 to 30 minutes, nothing okay. longer. Because, again, it'll make it harder for you to fall asleep later on. Now, in children, obviously different. Oh, yeah. Children, children, yes. Because is it yeah. true that when you sleep, you grow? Uh, yeah. So it helps brain development and all of that jazz Okay. sleep. But when you're older, uh, sorry, if you're 27, <laughs> you uh, you are grown, sir. You do not need no a nap. No more naps for you. Okay. So 
getting sleep, sleeping at, uh, at night. Don't read or watch TV in bed. I've heard that one before. Mm-hmm. So don't do those things in your bed. Don't eat in your bed either, yep. right? No phones. It sounds boring, but it's yeah. like your bed's for sleeping. Bed is That's, for sleeping. Okay. This one, it says don't toss or turn. So if you can't fall asleep, it says go into another room and then come back when you're tired. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense? Yeah. Because, I mean, tossing and turning, you're, you're activating like your heart. You're active. You're mm-hmm. like now getting a little bit busy. Okay, so the bed is for sleeping. Um, avoid caffeine and meals before bed. I feel like that's pretty basic. Broom, dark and cold. Mm-hmm. I like that. Not everybody does, but I do. This I think is really helpful. I need to start doing this. Write your worries out before bed. Yes. What's the psychology there? Yes. Um, it's getting them out of your head and on paper. And then one of the things for that is like you can look at that the next day and being like, did this actually happen? Did this not happen? Oh. So if you're having a worry that you are going to do this presentation and everyone's going to laugh at you, write that worry down before you go to bed. And then when you get home, say, did they laugh at me? No. So write that down that this worry didn't actually come okay. true. So yeah, you're so starting to challenge those worries. Okay. So it's a little bit of an extra step, mm-hmm. but it's like by you putting it down and then going back and be like, oh, this didn't happen. It does that help change your brain, like the way it views things? I mean, things? like practice makes perfect. A yeah. lot of these things, you know, you can start doing that reframing today. It might not work 100%. A lot right. of these things are going to take that practice for you. You know, you think of when you switched your arms, it mm-hmm. felt comfortable. But if you do it enough, it'll feel normal. But yeah, like get those worries out of your head and start kind of challenging them of like, this is here. This actually didn't happen. That's awesome. I'm going to try that. <laughs> okay. We're still talking about sleep. There's a lot of things about sleep. Sleep is important. Sleep at the same time at yeah. night. Try to keep it consistent. Try to keep Now, I heard a story, and I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. I heard a story about like, or maybe it was a study, about your brain not knowing the difference between like survival mode. So, for example, let's say I was out like hiking, which I would never do. <laughs> but let's say I was out on a hike and I, and I got lost. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm in survival mode. So I'm like going to sleep and like waking up, right? Um, and I'm only getting like four or five hours of sleep. My, my brain doesn't understand. My brain just thinks, okay, we're in survival mode, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm at home and I'm going to sleep different times every night, my brain doesn't understand that you're at home, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I thought that was so interesting because when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like if I'm going to bed at one in the morning, my brain's like, oh my gosh, we're in survival mode. Why yep. are we going to bed at one in the yep. morning, right? Yep. Oh, the brain's so smart. <laughs> the brain's so smart. Anything else you want to add to sleeping? That was a lot. Um, I mean, those were those were pretty pretty good. Of like, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you did an absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I didn't topic. do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're just tuning in, it's okay. But seriously, I'm Vanessa Lauren. I'm here with Chady. We're talking about anxiety and PTSD. We've already broken down like what can cause it, what it is. Now we're going through the ways to resolve it. So welcome to the conversation. We're five ways in. We're about to go through the last five. So number six is meditate. Uh, yes. This is very, very hard for me. It's also very, very hard. But it's essentially kind of remaining in the present and focusing your thoughts. Um, so there are apps that are absolutely fantastic for help like guided meditation. Um, one of my favorite ones uh, is when you're laying in bed and mm-hmm. your mind is racing, you envision yourself sitting by a stream of water. And on that stream of water, there are these giant leaves just going down the stream. And what you want to do is you want to imagine every single one of your thought on each of those leaves and you watch it just pass away. You don't have judgment about that. You don't think, oh, that's so stupid. That was a stupid thought. Why am I thinking that? No judgment. You just watch it pass. You notice it. Let it go. Okay. It's like counting sheep, but it's yes. counting worries. Yes. <laughs> counting <laughs> worries. Just there goes one sheep, two sheep. Okay. Meditation. I've heard this before. It is difficult. It is. Yes. And this this I pulled from the John Hopkins um, study that said 30 minutes a day is what is what helps. Now, I've heard to truly be meditating, you have to like really clear your mind mm-hmm. because I can sit quiet for 30 minutes. Believe it or not, mom and dad wouldn't believe me, but I can do it. I can sit quiet for 30 minutes. But my mind won't be quiet. Mm-hmm. So to get your mind to be quiet is like it takes practice. Oh, yeah. And I've heard like focus on one word mm-hmm. or like what you're saying. Focus on something specific so that that helps clear your mind. Yeah. 
So if you're someone who's trying to meditate and it's hard, keep going. Yes. Practice makes perfect. It's hard even for this therapist. But don't meditate in the middle of the day because then you're going to end up with a nap and then we're going to be back to <laughs> yes, square one. Yes. And don't drink before you meditate. Oh, Lord. Okay. Number seven is just getting healthy in general. Mm-hmm. So um, this is talking about like low blood sugar, dehydration, yes. and the chemicals that are in food that can actually heighten anxiety. Is there any studies that you've seen on that? That's a little too sciencey for me. No, that's okay. But I will stick with the the hydration, especially in Vegas. Yeah. Um, that like not being hydrated that can really impact your health. Okay. All good. Okay. And then um, deep breathing. We talked about that. Yes. Is there I... a specific way to deep breathe? Um, there are a few ways. Uh, one of the easiest way to remember is the four 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 method, which is essentially you're gonna breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds breathe out for four seconds and you're going to do that about four times to either your brain starts to slow down your breathing starts to slow down Mm -hmm. if you need a little more do another four cycles but yeah four 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 now why four is there reasons behind that it has a lot to do with because having a set number is helpful because a lot of people you tell them to like deep breathe they're like (gasps) (sighs) (sighs) you're like okay slow 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 down (laughs) but like if you go longer some people just don't really have the lung capacity to hold it for six so four tends to be a really good kind of middle we're not all david blaine no we can't hold it for 90 (laughs) seconds he's like i see your four yes i raise you 120 seconds Um, okay, so then now the where were we? Um, deep breathing aromatherapy mm. is on here. I have a, a friend who does aromatherapy. If you're not familiar with what this is, it's when you use the fragrant oils, mm-hmm. right? And they were talking about different oils that can help and stuff like that. But basically, we're hearing the same thing here: relax, yeah. sleep, meditate, calm your mind, reduce your heart rate, your blood pressure. And then the last one I have on this list is to drink chamomile tea. Soothing. Is that why that's on there? I'm not a big tea drinker, but I heard it's very, very soothing. Well, this I found there was a study in Germany where they gave, they had 200 people and they gave half of them a placebo and they gave half of them, um, not the tea, but chamomile capsules. And they found that like their levels went down in the the ones that took the capsules. So that's why they added it to the list here. But overall, we'll run through them real fast. Stay active. Don't drink alcohol. Stop smoking. Ditch the caffeine. Call your mom. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Ditch the caffeine. Get some sleep properly. No naps. Meditate. Eat healthy. Practice deep breathing. Try aromatherapy and drink chamomile tea. I love that. I do none of these. And this is why I have anxiety. (laughs) It's okay. It's a work in progress. I don't. uh, Well, I don't drink and I don't smoke. But, you know, I drink the caffeine. So I feel like it's the same. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you want to add or touch on or maybe some advice you want to give to either those? You've said said a lot about those who... um, experience anxiety and PTSD but for individuals like yourself who are going into this work Mm -hmm. maybe there's someone out there who's thinking about switching majors Mm -hmm. what would be your encouragement because I know for myself people have said like oh you should go into being a therapist and I'm like oh no I can't do that (laughs) any advice for someone who's thinking considering your field um I think just get some experience with it if you don't already have it um so i particularly work in ptsd and that can be really really difficult Mm -hmm. and it sounds nice kind of in theory that you're gonna help people work through their trauma but a lot of people struggle with managing their own emotions while helping someone else manage theirs so um unlv has a lot of research uh psych labs that you can intern at um or do be a research assistant so get experience and then like remind yourself that you got this. If you even have a mental health disorder and you're like, well, I'm not going to be a good therapist. I can't even manage myself. That's not true. A lot of therapists have anxiety, have PTSD, have depression. So there is room for you. There is space for you. You are valid. Your feelings are valid. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And I'm glad that you came in. I'm glad that we were able to talk and you were able to keep me honest. (laughs) And thank you so much for listening out there. Uh, This is okay, but seriously, we're here. I'm here every uh, Tuesday evening from six to seven, where we talk about serious topics in a non-serious way. You can reach out to the Rebel HD2 on Instagram. I'm also on there at V from the LV. If you want to send me some ideas, thoughts, feedback, please do so. And I will talk to you all next Tuesday. Now back to your music. Bye.